This is The Talent Show, a podcast by Talent Canada, the national magazine for workplace leaders published by Annex Business Media. You've tuned in to hear conversations with Canadian experts on the latest in workplace leadership and human resource practices. Thank you for tuning in. Hello and welcome to Talent Canada's national podcast for senior workplace leaders and human resources professionals. Talent Canada is a publication dedicated to driving business through investment in people. Today you have tuned in to a conversation between group publisher Todd Humber and behavior analyst Mina Movaselli about how senior leaders can best address a toxic workplace culture. Enjoy the conversation. Joining me today is Mina Movaselli. She's the founder of Mind the Blueprints. Uh, Mina, you and I first met actually at a Disrupt HR event in uh, Vaughan, just north of Toronto. And the uh, the discussion that you gave that day kind of led to you writing an article for Talent Canada, which has done really well on the website, and kind of led to you know the reason that you're here today, which is kind of to talk about this the the impact that a toxic culture can have on an individual. So how did you get first interested in that kind of idea? So I'm a behavioral scientist by trade, and so I was doing, to go rewind it all the way back, I did behavior therapy for a year, and then I left the healthcare field, and I started going into like marketing and just consulting in general, and then I started working in all these like startup um, companies, and I started noticing how much toxic culture is everywhere. So all I see is behaviors, and it's either... It's not just good or bad, it's not black or white, but I started seeing the toxicity and so I started helping the, the CEOs and help them understand why the organization is not doing well. So it's not really just the marketing, it's really, it could be them themselves not putting enough positivity and enough good culture back into the organization and that could really help anyone thrive. You know, a lot of people, uh, especially senior leaders, when they hear that type of talk, their eyes might start to roll a bit and think, oh, this is like a touchy-feely subject. This is that soft side of HR. But I I think, you know, if you've been in a workplace, if you've seen the way that, that, you know, people react to things and how they absorb things, it can actually have a massive impact on, you know, people's productivity, Mm -hmm. on their engagement while they're in the office, um, and just in terms of their um, desire to stay with your organization. So if I could get you to kind of talk a little bit about, um, you know, what you've seen personally in an organization and how that takes a toll on the individual. Yeah, so in the article specifically that I wrote for Talent Canada, I talked about this simple little act of eating at your desk. And I didn't know how profound that was until I was actually talking to one of my friends and she's a project manager and she was saying how um, after years of working for companies, the last company she decided to go for an interview with she asked them this one specific question, and it was, do people at the company eat at their desk during lunch? Because I was explaining to her, I was just like, I just don't understand. Like, if I eat at my, if I leave for work during lunchtime, then they're going to ridicule me. And, and then so she, and then so then she started telling me the story about why she asks this question. And I just thought, oh my God, that's such an important question to ask when you're going for an interview or when you're looking at any company or culture because by asking them that, they might not really know exactly what you're trying to get at, but you know that it's a good idea or insight into the company and what it what they really believe and value because anyone could just write a good mission, vision, and value statement for a company. 
that's just a good marketing team. But do they actually live and breathe it? So by understanding that, oh, they do eat at their desk, then you're going to be like, okay, they probably don't really care about the people that work there, and they really are just working them like a horse. So that's probably not a good company to work at, unless you really like that, but honestly, that's not good for the mind. <laughs> yeah, so as a manager, I mean, we all walk around the office, we see what our teams are doing. Right. If we notice that our staff is eating at their desk on a regular basis, if that's a thing, I mean, some managers will look at that and go, oh good, they're being productive, right. they're not wasting time, they're focused on the job. Yeah. Um, what would you kind of recommend if, if, you know, if you see that in your office, how do you address that? Well, I, well, so that's the thing, right? So a lot of managers and leaders, so we've um, subconsciously been ingrained this idea that, oh, working at your desk and working all these hours and being busy is being productive, but now the science and the research does not support that at all. It shows that, oh, um, your brain can work, let's say, only like a few short amount of hours um, to be productive. After that, you're kind of just like a bit all over the place and you're not going to do, do the best amount of work. So I think it's really getting to the leaders, the CEOs and the execs, which is great because that's what Talent Canada is doing, and to be able to teach them that, hey, when this thought comes up, that's maybe an old programming, and this is actually the new research and the new science, and this is what you should do going forward. So it's kind of getting rid of that old programming and that old mentality so that they, they can also align with the actual the values and the vision of the company as well. Mm-hmm. And how do you change that? So, you know, if, if again, if you're seeing people sitting at their desk and, and you realize this is probably a bad behavior uh, and you want to encourage, you know, them to get away to take that break so they're refreshed for the afternoon, how do you change that culture? Um, I think it's, it's always great when you do things as a team. So trying to get one person to do it could be really tough a lot of times. So a lot of times the person, the team lead or the manager, or the supervisor getting the whole team together and say, okay, at your lunchtime, you guys go eat lunch and then maybe we'll go play like an activity. But the activity could seem like just a simple fun recess type of activity, but it's actually a way to actually increase cohesiveness as well and to kind of detach them from their work. But at the same time, it's also um, activating the right part of the brain, which is creativity. So you're doing all these other things, but you're actually increasing the productivity when they go back to work. So it's kind of like a refresher. But yeah, if you see one person working at their desk, that's going to be harder to change than getting a whole team together because people want to follow a whole group rather than just a one person. Some people might follow that, but when you get a whole group together, a whole audience will change. Yeah. Is there a bit of, of leading by example maybe as well? Like should should the, you know, the leader, the manager, the supervisor, whatever role they have, should they make a point of not eating at their desk so that the, the oh, staff 100%, see? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It, if you really believe in the values and the vision of the company, you're going to also try to um, incorporate that into your daily life. So and so everyone's leading by example. So it's just like so when I worked at this one company, my first day actually, uh, we were helping reorganize everything, and the CEO and the VP they were sitting there and they weren't going for lunch. So then it was like two thirty, three o'clock. And then I saw them go into the fridge, brought a tub of ice cream. And I was just like, okay, are we not allowed to have lunch? And I was like really scared to say something because I was really excited for this position. And so by that time it was like 5, 5.30 and I was just like, oh wow, like they don't go for lunch. So is that like a thing here? And then, um, and yeah, but if they were to go for lunch and to make sure, hey Mina, are you gonna go for lunch as well? 
that would really show me like, oh wow, they actually care about me and my health and my well-being. It's not just that it, there's a price on my head with how much they're paying me hourly. So definitely they should be leading by example. Yeah, that's great. And one of the other things that you touched on in the article you wrote, which I think really resonated, uh, especially the first time I read it, was, you know, uh, lunch is one thing, that's a small thing. Right. But what happens when you work in a, a culture that goes against your values can actually be quite severe. And you outlined some of that. So what are some what are the, some of the things that can happen to an individual if they're in a culture that does not match their, their personal values? Yeah, so it's important to, for people to understand that like your personal values and the company values can be aligned just because a lot of people go into companies and think, okay, these are their values. And obviously a lot of times the values aren't actually what they're putting in action. So they pick up all these new values of the company by watching the behaviors and it doesn't align with their personal values and they're like, okay, it's, a fu- it's fine because when I go home, this is who I am at home. But your brain doesn't have these like separate compartments where it's like, okay, this is Mina at work and Mina at home. Um, it's actually just picking up behavior subconsciously. And so that's why like a few years down the road, some people are just like, oh my God, I'm so confused. I don't know the feelings that I'm feeling. I just know that I just don't feel good or right. And that's when a lot of mental health issues and depression and anxiety because there's a lot of things that have been suppressed. But if you go into a company and understand, okay, these are their values and are they actually putting it into action? What are the type of behaviors that are accepted in the company? Um, And does that align with who I want to be and who I am? And if you do that and if it does align, then you're kind of staying in a good center. Whereas, so if you think of um, like a dot (laughs) in the middle of your body, so that's your center. And then every time you move away from your values, let's say you're moving to the right. And so each time you do that, slowly, slowly, imagine like over five years, 10 years, you're so so far away from yourself, your self-identity, which is so important to your mind, that you're not going to know who you are. And so when you have some type of dissonance like that, this separation from okay, who I thought I was and my behaviors, you're gonna feel the sense of, this sense of like anxiety and depression, um, which I think a lot of people have been feeling and they don't know why. And it's because of all these subconscious behaviors and things that they've been picking up in these workplaces that they don't like. Like, I would say like a majority of my friends don't love their job. <laughs> or if they say they love their job, they love the position and the money, they, don't like the people in management they don't like their team but it's not like they're being negative or complaining the things that they are complaining about are actually valid the stuff that's happening in their workplace is really toxic but no one's doing anything to change it and people are scared to change it so constantly staying in that environment i see them change and i like i warn them that hey if you continue in this type of environment you're going to change and people think oh no it's okay um but then a couple years down the road, they're just like, I feel weird. And it's just like, yeah, because your self-identity um, is is lost and you feel lost. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, a, that's a good point. Because I think a lot of people, you know, they think that they can leave it at the door to use, you know, right. that phrase that, you know, when they walk out of the office, they can go back to being their true self. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not true, is it? No, no, you can't leave it at the door. Um, your brain just isn't wired like that. It does understand that there's a certain situation and certain environment um, that you're in when you go into work. 
and but if there's a similar situation and environment or personality style at work that you find in another situation when you go out one night and you end up dealing with someone that's similar to like a toxic boss outside your brain's going to react the same way so if you were a pushover to your boss at work then it's going to do the same thing when you're outside it doesn't care that the boss is not in a work environment or that that person is not your boss it just knows hey that's a similar personality type this is the behavior that i've been doing at work constantly over some few months years and this is now my new behavior because your mind kind of wants to feel at ease it wants to like do less work so that it so because it has so many other things to pick up on so it's like okay if i feel comfortable and easy then um, then I'm just going to feel better overall. But it doesn't understand that it's actually moving so far away from your self-identity. That's why you have to be so conscious of that. So to not let that subconscious part kind of take over. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I guess so as an employee, if you notice this happening to you, what are your options? Like what can you do uh, to change it? So obviously it depends what position you're in. If you're in like a leadership position or supervisor position, like you can try to incorporate all these activities to try to make things more, not even just cohesive to try to bring a team together, but try to make it more of an open space. So I remember um, one of the times we met, I was telling you about how good it is to say no. And some people are scared to say no, especially in this culture of like, oh, let's all be positive. But positivity doesn't mean having zero boundaries and being nice. It's actually almost like the opposite sometimes. It's learning how to say no and knowing who you are. So let's say if I have like a meeting with my team, I'm going to teach them, hey, I'm sometimes triggered by the way some people might put me down or say no to a project of mine. So I like to be told no in this way. And it kind of creates an open space to be able to find out how people like to hear no, because people are so different. We can't expect them to all be the same when they just come to the workplace and leave their personality at the door. It's like, it's almost unfair. So Mm -hmm. honestly, practicing saying no to teammates, so doing little exercises and saying, okay, pretend that you're told that you can't do this project, or you have to do this project and you have a million things to do, learn to say no. So it's going to feel really uncomfortable, but understanding that uncomfortable feeling isn't a bad feeling. So a lot of times like we feel uncomfortable and people try to like run away from that feeling and we should actually be sitting with that feeling and understanding that, hey, it's okay. This is just me trying to stand up for myself. So that is also what yoga does. So when people do yoga and they're making them do a pose, and they're just like, okay, it might be like an uncomfortable position, but as long as you're not in like pain, pain, and it's just like a body sensation, the instructor ends up telling you, hey, just push through that. So it kind of makes you sit with it. But what they're actually doing is making you sit with a feeling. So when you go into the real world outside of the yoga class, you're when you have that feeling, you're not going to run away or suppress it. So it's kind of doing the same thing when you're practicing no as well. It's getting people to feel comfortable um, saying no and giving that empowerment as well, which I think is really important. Yeah, for sure. You know, I I think as an individual, you kind of know what's going on in your own head, obviously. (laughs) But if if you're managing people, um, are there warning signs that you can look for to see when somebody is struggling, when their values aren't lining up and they're going through this and thing? Does that ever show visibly? 
It does. It does. But there's so many different, like, characteristics and behaviors and stuff. But honestly, when people, like, end up going home and complaining, so people actually know what's happening in the beginning. They're actually, we're actually really smart, like, human beings. We have a lot of, like, intrinsic and intuitive things that happen. And then a lot of times people go home like the first like month or two months of working somewhere and they end up complaining. And I don't even want to say complaining, but they end up like saying things here and there to their spouse or their friends. And they don't know why sometimes they're saying it and they kind of feel bad because they might be labeled a complainer. But a lot of times it's because somewhere subconsciously or intuitively deep down, it's like something just doesn't feel right. And whatever behavior they're complaining about is pretty much like they don't know what's underlying that behavior, I guess. But there's something that's telling them that that behavior might be rooted in something that is unaligned with them. And so they can't explain it. And that's what the gut feeling is. And science talks about gut feelings a lot. And pretty much it's sometimes you can't even explain it. So you, like you just have to kind of trust it, which is really hard yeah. <laughs> because a lot because we're not taught to trust it. But so by understanding that, OK, for whatever reason, I don't feel right or I don't feel good about this behavior or this environment and to just kind of learn how to trust it, which is not an easy thing to do. But there's a lot of like coaches and therapists and other people that are actually out there that actually help you stay in touch with your values, which actually get you more in touch with your intuition and your gut feeling as mm-hmm. well. So again, from the management's perspective, like if they if they want to ensure right. that that they minimize the impact this has on their teams, is it as simple as having like a really good conversation with the teams on a regular basis and having that? It's a cliche, but the open door policy in that, like, will those things go a long way in, in you know? encouraging their team to speak up if there is something that's that's clashing that maybe they can fix before it gets to a point where the employee leaves or becomes disengaged to be honest so most of the cases that i deal with management is the problem and they want to do something to help but they're not sure what is they're so in it and they've been doing the same behaviors for so many years that they're like i don't get it everything seems okay like i designed this beautiful place and i did this but that's not all it is. So there might be behaviors that they're subconsciously doing that's actually affecting the workplace, which is why it's important, especially for companies that have the money or the budget or that could spare a, a small budget to have a consultant or a group of people come in and to evaluate the company and the culture that's not emotionally involved. And that takes time as well because people have to feel comfortable with other people coming in. but. Yeah, I think them knowing that, hey, I might be the problem. And if I really want to make this company work, or if I really want to take this company to IPO, let me hire a consultant and let me let me bring them in and let them see what is happening so they could give me an objective point of view. But I understand a lot of small companies, especially in Toronto, we're a huge tech startup hub. And so having that open door policy, people try it. But honestly, like, I don't think it works (laughs) because people are scared and they're not sure. So that's why like practicing saying no and practicing saying things that are usually uncomfortable in workplace settings to to bring people's voice back. So not leaving their voice at the door. So to come in to feel like, oh, I can't say no to my boss, that they're not this person on this pedestal. So to kind of get rid of all that, to get rid of this idea of this hierarchy and people on pedestals makes people actually feel comfortable Um, to speak up and to say something and management should encourage it 
because it's actually going to take their company further by doing that, by allowing people to have a voice and to stand up for them, to them. So, yeah, I think if the supervisors have a place where they are taught, hey, if you don't agree with what I'm doing, this is how you could go about it so that we're not stepping on each other's toe. I think that's really important. Yeah. yeah. What about 360 feedback? surveys for managers is, is that a useful tool in your opinion i've uh, i've heard of it i've yeah. never actually used it so i don't know okay. if i could speak to it um can you tell me more about it it's about sure basically what it is it you know it differs you know different companies have different ways they do it but right. essentially it's an opportunity for the staff to give feedback you know about sometimes their colleagues but often their their managers to say this is what you're doing well this is what you're not doing well right. it's supposed to be anonymous it should be right so that the the manager basically gets a report it's a checkup you know, from their team on what they're doing well and where they have areas of weakness. Right. That can be good, but honestly, a lot of times when the employee is also, like, upset at the management and the supervisor, they could be writing a lot of bad things about them, and it's so untrue and it's so unfair to the manager and supervisor um, who doesn't understand where that feedback is even coming from. Again, that's why it's important for, like, a third party or even, like, if HR is pretty far removed from the from the staff and the company like they're I don't know if it's a big organization they're not like as involved with that team um, for them to come in and do an evaluation and a check and talk to people but I don't know the 360 can work but I could see people being upset about management and not knowing where that feeling is coming from and just like writing that oh they're a horrible manager or leader but it's just because they didn't get the yes that they wanted on their project right so like that's unfair to the manager that's why it's important like whoever is talking to the staff is un- is asking the right questions that are trying to get to like the root of the problems or try like so like a behavioral scientist or like a therapist even they ask questions to try to like understand what's happening on a subconscious level and to the root of the problem. So we're not gonna ask like these plain simple questions. So so beha- like a behavioral question in an interview would be the famous, what animal would you be? And I've actually written an article about that and I've gotten like some backlash about it and some people love it. And some people are like, why can't you just be open and upfront? But we're not open and upfront. We actually, a lot of our behaviors and our actions and our words are happening subconsciously. And we don't know where we kind of maybe have picked it up. So it's important to ask these questions because you might not know yourself as well as you might think. Because you might not be as, like, as aligned or aware of all these behaviors and words that you're saying. So um, asking the right questions to try to get into that subconscious um, is really important. And... That's why, like, again, hiring professionals that are good at that is yeah, <laughs> important. For sure. Yeah. What about during the actual, like, you know, the, the interview process for employers? When they're, when they're looking for talent to hire talent, mm-hmm. and then from the employee point of view, too, when they're looking to join a company, are there some questions that they should be asking or things they should be looking at to ensure that, you know, their values line up with the company's? And from the company's point of view, that the employee's values line up with what, you know, they're trying to accomplish. So I know, like, big companies like Salesforce and stuff, um, they, like people referring other people because it's really hard to get an interview at Salesforce and Google and stuff. So they do a referral process and it's really to ensure that, hey, we hired a really good candidate and we want one similar to you. So you are the five people you hang around with. So who are your five? And will you put your name on the line for that? 
Um, so they that's how they start with it, which is really smart because they go. It's like a weeding process already, and it's incentivized as well. But so I like to do so with um, smaller companies who don't have something in place. I like to do this um, coffee interview. I call it a coffee interview. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't trademarked it or anything. But so pretty much, and I don't even drink coffee, but pretty much the person comes in and I'm actually just like making coffee with them or making tea with them by the kitchen and just hanging out and just talking. There's always going to be some formal questions, but we could always ask that after. But in the beginning, they come in and we're just like making coffee, making tea or anything really. Um, and so that's a way for me to be understand who they are on like a personal level don't show me your interview self show me who you are um, even though you're going to bring like a professional persona to a company I also you're also going to bring yourself and I want you to bring yourself so who are you and to make them feel comfortable I do this coffee interview with them and it's it's not really even always about asking the right questions like what kind of animal would you be it's more about oh would like how who are they like what kind of people are they? Where do they live? Where do they hang out? Are they really self-aware of like what's happening in their life? Just like kind of getting to know them on like a personal level. And obviously like there's a fine line about like draw like about going too personal, but just getting to know like who they are and making sure that you feel comfortable working with this human being, not this professional persona that they're going to put on because that's really underneath that professional persona is that human being. So are you comfortable with that person that you just did an interview with? So if you're going to work along with them, at some point, um, that person su- should come in and do a coffee interview with them and see if they get along, to be honest. Yeah, well, that's a really good point. And then kind of you, you've addressed this a couple of times through our conversation, but to kind of tie things up for employers, what are some, you know, the tactics that, tactics that they can use to kind of address this? So you mentioned, you know, teaching people that they can say no mm-hmm. is, is a big thing. Um, what else can they do? Because everyone wants to have these great cultures. Everyone likes to think they have them. You know, right. in the article you wrote, again, to, to uh, kind of pull from that, you said that, you know, there's so many companies that, you know, they win awards, they have these great cultures. But when you start looking at it, what, what is it really? So how, how do you ensure that, that you have what you think you have? So the hiring is, like, obviously, like, the most important. Yeah. So making sure their values actually align with your own. And just to see like what do these people actually want out of a company it's just like sure they want the money but there's so much research now that shows that hey people will give up the extra 10,000 if they work for like a really awesome boss in a really great environment with really great people so um, doing like a post-it session where it's just like people have fun and just say hey I want a slide in the office I want this in the office and then like as they start like as it starts getting harder because every everything's almost put out there, you kind of go deeper and you start figuring out like, hey, they actually would like like a book area because they're a bit more introverted and they just want to maybe have like a little nook or that's like their alone time or they want like a really good yoga session or they think that working four days a week or five days a week is a lot and it actually doesn't make sense because most of the companies on Facebook for like, a couple hours a day so when you calculate that it's really four days of work so when you actually start listening to the employees because they're the one who's actually helping your company grow and scale so if you actually start listening to them you'll understand oh they actually know what's best for the company so if you actually hired properly and they align with the values you need to start listening to them um, because 
by making sure that they feel like they're working in this awesome workspace, your company is just going to scale so much faster. And yeah, so honestly, just like that's sim- as simple as just listening to them and doing like a posted session. Perfect. All right. Thank you for tuning in to The Talent Show, the podcast by Talent Canada. To hear more of our episodes or to find the latest workplace headlines from across the country, visit talentcanada.ca. Thank you.